0: Good morning. Welcome to a new year. If you would turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. I will say before I start that uh, the sermon this morning won't be long. Maybe some of you saw in the new year. I'm going to use uh, quite a bit of scripture, I won't ask you to turn, I will weave them together with the thoughts this morning, Uh, but uh, if you have any questions afterwards, anything that I've had to say, uh, uh, please uh, feel free to uh, come to me. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scripture we have just read knowing that you have preserved these scriptures, that they are your words, and that you are the great God who not only gives us the scripture, but also makes the scripture alive within our lives. We gather here in your presence. We pray for the work of your spirit. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds to bend our will Uh, To do your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your bulletin, you see the name of the sermon is a new year of benediction. Now, benediction uh, is common here. Uh, The word itself simply means, it's from Latin, it means good talk or good word. And, of course, we use it at the end of the services. But I have a confession to make. I have never been part of a church that used the benediction. Uh, For a while, I attended a Presbyterian church, and they did use the benediction. uh, But I thought it was a Presbyterian thing until I came here. And maybe for that reason, I listen more carefully. It's new to me, uh, to what is being said during the benediction. This passage of scripture I've chosen comes from a benediction that Pastor Tyler gave the week before Thanksgiving. But I would say when you give the definition of the word benediction, it really is more than just a good word, It's much more than that. It's more than just the end of a service. In the churches I've been part of in the past, we all send it a service with a prayer. Here, we use a benediction. But it's more than just saying, that's all, folks. It really is a charge. It is a commission. It is a go forth this week and live in the reality of these truths. And I've chosen this title for that reason, on this day, because it's the beginning of a new year, and I wanted to give some kind of a benediction for the entire year, something that we could carry with us, something that could be part of our hearts, something that could mold our lives and enable us to walk more closely with the Lord. Now this morning I have one definition to give, and then I have three points I wish to make. And they're not wrong points, Uh, they're kind of seed points. I'm just gonna throw some things out, some things for you to think about. The first thing that I wanna point out is a definition of the word covenant. A definition of the word covenant. For here in the text before us, it speaks about the blood of the everlasting or the eternal covenant. Now God is a God who works throughout history He is a God who works all things after the counsel of his will. But there are times that God, as it were, breaks through into history in a spectacular way. And when he breaks through into history, he forms a covenant with his people. Now the Bible contains many covenants. The word is not used of Adam and Eve, but it was a covenant God made, not only with Adam and Eve, but with all who would come after Adam and Eve. Where Adam stood to represent the whole human race. And throughout scripture you'll read of covenants. The covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Noah. The covenant he made with the nation of Israel. These were all covenants that God made. It is not a contract. I think sometimes we think of the word covenant. Maybe we think of the word contract. But that's not the case at all. For it is a work of god it's not something that we sit down we negotiate with we say god well what are you going to do and here's what we will do it's nothing like that at all it is god who sets forth the terms of the covenant it is god who sets forth the promises of the covenant it is god who sets forth how we are to respond to the covenant and we are either free to accept that covenant promise or else we reject it there is no negotiating with god He, in his great wisdom, his great love, sets forth a covenant, and that covenant is binding upon his people. I would say in the simplest definition, it is a binding promise from God himself having conditions to be met. We know as we look at our Bibles, it's divided into two sections. We talk about the old covenant, we talk about the new covenant, but the text before us speaks about the everlasting or eternal covenant. It is the covenant above all covenants. It's the covenant upon which every other covenant has been based that God has ever made with mankind. It is an everlasting and eternal covenant because it began before the foundation of the world. We sometimes think of the new covenant as something that just happened, Almost as though it were God's second chance. You know, God made a covenant with Israel, a covenant that they broke. Now God has to come out with plan B. That's not the case at all. For when it speaks about the people of God, it says that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So what I'm saying is that it is an eternal, everlasting covenant that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And he's working that covenant out throughout time and working it out even today in our own lives. And it's called an eternal, everlasting covenant because the covenant that will never, ever end. It has its beginning before the foundation of the world. Everything God has ever done in this world is based upon the work of Jesus Christ who inaugurated this new covenant in his own blood and it will carry on throughout eternity. We'll praise God for what he has done even throughout eternity. It is sealed by the blood of Christ. This covenant is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what our text tells us. It says he brought up the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It was sealed there upon the cross, where the sinless one took upon himself the sins of his people, suffered, and died in their place. Often, when we have the Lord's Supper, we quote from Matthew chapter 26, and what did Jesus say then as he lifted up the cup? He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that was given for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a covenant that is received by faith and by faith alone. It's not a covenant agreement with God. God has set forth the terms of that covenant. Christ has purchased that covenant. The terms of the covenant are faith. Not our own goodness, not our own works, not anything we can imagine or make up. It is a concrete covenant set forth by God, set forth by God, sealed in the blood of Christ. And it's a covenant that contains promises. You can read throughout your New Testament. You'll see promise after promise after promise being given by God but those promises are part of this new covenant and there are promises that God will keep. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. God has set forth the conditions of the covenant. The conditions of the covenant are faith, faith in Christ, faith and faith alone. But not only that, God has made promises unto the people of God, and not one single promise God has ever made can ever fail. If we are a covenant child of God, purchased with the blood of Christ, accepting him by faith and faith alone, every single promise he has made to us, every single promise he has made to his people, every single promise he has made to the church, they will be fulfilled. Every single one of them. So a covenant is a binding agreement. We are bound together with God. It is not a contract. God has made that covenant with us. We entered into that covenant through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood. And it's a sealed covenant. One that we can depend upon. That God will always, always, always keep his word. Now there are three things I wish to say quickly from this passage. One's a little longer than the other two, but not that long. I'm just throwing these out, kind of as seed thoughts. But there are three things about God that I want you to see in this passage this morning. First of all, in verse 20, now may the God of peace. And that's the first point. God is a God of peace. He is a God of peace. When it comes to the word peace in the New Testament we have to look at it in three different areas. And what I'm saying is that first of all, God is the one who makes peace with mankind. He's the one who makes peace with us. And then God is the one who makes peace between us, bringing together each one of us into the fold of his fellowship. And finally, that God is a God who brings peace within us, within us. The peace of God. First of all, the peace with God by nature, in word, thought, and deed. We were not friends of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we were enemies. By nature, man is not a friend of God. It's God who makes us his friends. He does it through the work of Jesus Christ and by applying the gospel, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection into our hearts. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, therefore, having been made right with God by faith, we have peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to begin a new year, but the greatest thing to begin a new year is to begin a new year at peace with God. At peace with God. Knowing that you're God's child, knowing that God is your God, And Christ is your shepherd. And the spirit dwells deep within you, working out his own will in your life. And I would encourage you this morning, if there's any doubt as to whether or not you're at peace with God, then please do not let another day go by until you know that you are God's and he is yours. And then the other thing I would point out is that he brings us together. peace with one another. That's the big thing today. All this talk about reconciliation, and I'm going to say this about it, that man can never bring about what they're trying to bring about by reducing everybody down to some kind of common denominator that in the end is uncommon. The scriptures say, In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Ephesians 2 verse 4, for he himself, that is Christ, he is our peace. And what has he done? He has broken down the middle wall of separation. There are so many separations in the world, so many devilish ways about going about doing things. And man tries this way and that way, this law and that law, this way of intimidating or that way of lifting up. But none of those things will really bring about what man is trying to accomplish. For there's only one place where all the walls come down, all these false walls that man has erected between different races and between different people and nationalities, all these things that man has erected, there's only one way, one way they can come down, and I believe that with all my heart, and that's at the foot of the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have worshipped in churches that were filled with all kinds of different people, from all kinds of races and backgrounds and ethnic groups, and I've seen what the power of the cross can do to make us all one, And may this year we be found at peace here, at peace with one another, dwelling together in harmony, praising our God, lifting him up, glorifying him, seeking all that he would have us to do. And then the third thing about peace I would say is that he brings great peace within ourselves. It is the fruit of the spirit. God pours out peace within our hearts. When I was thinking about peace within ourselves, I thought of one verse in particular, and that is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. For this new year, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You know what that word rule means? It means to be an umpire. In other words, treasure the peace of God within you to such a degree that you don't want to ever lose that peace. And when you set out to do something, or you set out to say something, reflect upon what that will do to your peace within. You know what it's like, I know what it's like to lose the peace of God. We do something, we say something, now we don't feel so good. Now we feel guilt within. The peace of God has seemed to flee from us. And we wonder, how can I get it back? Well, we get it back at the foot of the cross. We get it back through confession and faith in Christ. But let that peace rule so hard within your heart that you're jealous of it, that you want to hold on to it, that you want to keep it, Let nothing disturb within you the peace that you have with God. God has not broken that peace. The cross still stands. Christ was still crucified. The tomb is still empty. Jesus is still ruling and reigning. If peace is to be broken, it's not by God in the life of his children, but the peace is broken by us. And I don't mean it's broken by us As our relationship with God, I mean it's broken by us within our own hearts and we rob ourselves of one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given unto man and that is peace. Peace in this world of turmoil. Peace in this world where everything seems to be flying out of control. Peace when everything is changing at seemingly the speed of light. The society, the world I live in today is not the world I grew up in for better or for worse or however you want to take it. But I'll tell you something I want more than anything, to walk with my God through this world and to walk at peace. Not only at peace with God, not only at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ and my neighbors and others, but also to walk in peace within myself. What people spend so much money seeking after and so many wasted hours is peace, peace, perfect peace in this world below. And then I want to just say a few words about what this text has to say, that God is the God of power. Look what he says again in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, the God of power, Now, there are a lot of ways I could go about trying to illustrate the power of God, but here in this text, he points to one thing. He points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I want for you to take from this, this idea of the power of God, the one who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, is this. The very same power that works In bringing up Christ from the dead is the same power that works in the life of the believer. Now you say, how? How can that be possible? Well, I have God's word for it. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has a great prayer. It's a run-on sentence. It begins in the 14th verse and runs all the way through to the 23rd. It's just one long sentence. Paul's just pouring out his heart unto God, word after word after word after word. I mean, we put punctuation in, but in the original, it's just the whole chapter, of Ephesians chapter 1, is only one, two sentences. Verse 1 through 13, 14 through 23, it's only two sentences. a great run-on sentence. Paul, overcome by the Spirit, sets forth these great truths that we might understand them. And he says, and he prays for the church, several things. But this is the one I want you to hear in verse 19. He wants you to know this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Wow. The greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Well, what is that all about? What do you have to say about that, Paul? Well, in the very next verse, he said, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That very same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'll tell you, man has created so many different ways to destroy one another. They have created all kinds of ways of destroying life. But only God can bring life. When death occurs, James tells us, it's when the spirit leaves the body. And no man can bring that back. Only God can raise the dead. And then he says here that very same power operative in raising Christ from the dead is also the very same power that's at work in the life of the believer. We find that shocking and hard because we know how weak we are. We know how often we stumble. But it's not because power is not available. It's not because it's not there for us. I would say in most cases, and my mind goes to First Thessalonians, not my notes, but he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And that word quench means do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, do not despise prophetic utterances. Other, other words, do not despise what's in the word. Do not look down upon what's in the word. Do not quench what the Spirit is trying to do within your heart. Through his work, even in and through the word, take what God says. Believe what God says. Know that it was sealed in the covenant blood of Jesus Christ that all the promises of God are yes in Him, in Him, Amen. Amen. That's something of the power of God and then I'm going to close just with this. Won't be long. He is the God of potential. He is the God of peace. He is the God of power, but he's the God of tremendous potential. And that is in verse 21. He says he's working within us to do his will. Here's that great covenant God has given. It does have conditions to be met. That condition is that of faith in him. But it's also, as you look at the word faith, you understand it's more than just saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Faith involves a commitment unto him. We accept not just a teaching in a book. What we accept is a person, a divine person, Jesus Christ. And when we accept Jesus Christ, we accept him as our prophet, He's the great shepherd of the sheep, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. We accept him as the great prophet, as the great priest who offered himself upon the cross, and as the great Lord over all of us. Faith involves those elements of acceptance. And he's the great God of potential. When we accept Christ as he is, we seek to follow him, when we look to him, as the great shepherd. I want to close with just a few questions. What is it within God's will that you desire to change or to grow in this new year? What is it? I sat down, I wrote out nine things. You might have 90, you might only have one, I don't know. I've got nine of them. And I know I can't do it. I know I can't do it alone. I know I can't do it by my own strength and power. I've tried and I've failed. But God is the God of potential. That resurrection power is at work. And God can transform us and change us into different people than we are. And whatever it is you are struggling with, or whatever it is in a positive sense you want to become, Understand your God is a God of potential. Your God has not given up on you. Your God is there with you. Lay them before the altar of God. Meditate upon them. Pray over them and pray over them and see how powerful God can be this year. What is it within God's will that you desire to see within your family this year? What changes? What ways will we do things different? He is the God of potential. And then I would say lastly on the God of potential, what is it for this body of believers at Georgia Flame? do you desire to see happen this year? I think sometimes we just don't believe God hard enough strong enough, and look to Him to work in such powerful ways in our midst. I know here in Vermont it's a hard place for Christianity. I know that we are severely outnumbered, but if God be for us, who can be against us? And I believe in the new year it's time to dream big, I mean within the will of God, what God has set forth in His Word, what God desires for His Church, and to pray over it, and to seek God, for God is a God of great potential. You're a covenant child of God, sealed in the blood of God. You have peace with God. You have the power of God available, and there's tremendous potential in your life. We're going to end this morning, before I give the benediction, with singing the song Amazing Grace. And I chose that song for a reason, not only because it's a great song, but this is the 250th anniversary of when that song was first used. John Newton used it in a sermon, January 1st, 1773. And that song has been with us ever since. You know, originally it had many, many tunes. The song is British, as he was British, but the tune is distinctly American. It came along some 40 or 50 years after the writing of the words, based upon an American spiritual. So let us sing together Amazing Grace. Thank you. Please stand.